Awesome. Good morning, everybody. How's it going today? Good to see you guys. Man, everybody put their snowshoes on and powered through that snowstorm, huh? We, we got our kids all excited for Saturday because we're like, we're going to be snowed in. It's going to be huge snow drifts and make a big snowman. And then we like woke up on Saturday and it's a totally normal day. <laughs> but uh, how many of you are like me and you're happy when it, the snowstorm doesn't come, doesn't materialize? That's me. I'm like, I actually prefer my normal life to any sort of weather apocalypse. Some people are like, oh, I just love it when there's like nine feet of snow. And I'm like, I've got a tree fall in my house in a winter storm. So just keep it normal and watch, uh, watch shows about Alaska on TV. That's kind of my, my style, my speed for weather. Um, I don't have anything to say about the weather today. I'm just making small talk, you know, just, just, just talking. Well, it's so good to see all of you guys today. I'm so excited to continue in this series on Philippians. And how many of you were here last week to hear Pastor Judah do a great job opening the series? Yeah, it's awesome. It was a great message. I got to hear some of it on YouTube. And uh, he's awesome, amazing. I also want to thank our, um, our youth staff, Pastor Kyle and Kayla, and their team that took all of the youth to GU, Generation Unleashed. I think it's called something different, right? The One Conference. They took them to One Conference this weekend, just one. And uh, let's give them a hand and thank our youth staff. Yep. And I know for, uh, for them, you know, taking a bunch of teenagers on a trip for a couple days is a, is a labor of love. And so if you wanted to take them out to steak dinner this week, I mean, they'd probably be able to receive that. I'm sure they'd be okay with that. Well, I'm excited to continue in this series, really excited about this series on the book of Philippians and I want to give a little bit of context. We're going to read some scripture and then give you a couple thoughts. And then we'll go beat all the other church people to the best restaurants in Eugene. Can I get an amen? Let's do it. That's what the spirit of, of Christianity is all about, is getting yourself first in line at the restaurants and then looking slightly down at other people. It's basically those two things. Uh, I'm just playing. All right, let's jump in. Well, we're, we're in this series on this book that, uh, called Philippians. And Philippians is actually a letter that's written by the Apostle Paul. And Paul, uh, as, you, as you may or may not know, was basically called by Christ uh, 2,000 years ago after Jesus actually died and rose again and ascended to heaven. He actually appears to this guy named Saul and he changes his name to Paul and he calls him to preach the gospel everywhere. And so Paul, he goes out and preaches the gospel like his hair's on fire. And he goes all around the, the Mediterranean world from port city to port city and he's preaching in these places and he goes all around and he starts all these churches. And one of the churches that he started is in a city called Philippi in Macedonia. And uh, Philippi is a, a prominent kind of Roman colony uh, in Greece. Uh, how many of you love uh, hummus and uh, flatbread? Yeah, I mean, come on. Let's, you could tell it's second service. The food thing just becomes more and more prevalent. Um, but Paul uh, started a church in Philippi, and it was, it was a, a church that he really loved. And he wrote this letter from prison. Scholars think he's probably in prison in, in Rome. Uh, as he writes this letter, you know, circa 80, 60, 61. And Paul writes this letter to the church in Philippi. And so this book that we call Philippians that we're studying over the next couple of weeks is a letter that was written to Christians serving God, uh, following Jesus thousands of years ago. And it's really cool because the message and the theme of this book and the value that goes to them uh, then is the same for us today, that we can learn from it, that we can grow from it and be encouraged. And what's really cool about this book, Philippians, this letter that Paul wrote, is that the theme of it is joy. And how many of you think that we should be, if anything, that should be something that we know about at Joy Church, right? We say, uh, one of our little slogans is, and my daughter loves this, and I'll, and I'll explain why, but we say joy is not just our name, it's also our culture. 
How many of you know if you walk into a church whose name is Joy Church and you walk in and people are like, hey, welcome to church, I guess. That, that sort of is a bit incongruous, right? We want to be uh, excited and joyful about what God is doing. And really that doesn't come from being fake or just, you know, plastic or shallow. It comes from the reality that when you, are, when you belong to Jesus, it doesn't matter what's going on on the outside, that on the inside you can have fullness of joy. And so Paul, in this book of Philippians, he's actually writing to them and he's talking about joy. In fact, in, in Philippians 1, verse 25, he says, I want you to, to know how to experience the joy of your faith. Maybe you're the kind of person that is kicking the tires on Christianity or exploring faith, but you kind of see Christianity as like, well, these, this is what you do when you're sort of ready to settle down and you leave kind of your fun life behind. And now you get to be a Christian and it's like boring and you know, everything's sort of, uh, you know, straight down the middle and everything's really kind of like uh, boring and, and stale and all that kind of stuff. Really, that's not the case. When you come to, to Christ, uh, it's a huge party in the sense that you get connected with God and connected with purpose and you get set free from the things that are really holding you back. And so Christianity and the pursuit of Jesus is actually meant to be and is full of joy when you connect with it as it's really meant to be lived, right? And so Paul is talking to the Philippians and, and by extension to us saying, hey, I want to show you how to enjoy this, this faith. I want to show you how to have joy in your salvation and in your experience of faith. So we're going to jump into this and read a couple of scriptures. We're going to start in Philippians chapter 1, verse 1, and we'll throw it up on this screen. Can everybody see that? It's a little small. You're okay? All right. People in the back, you good? Okay. This is like actually hurts. I think it's actually burning into our retinas. That's how we get the word of God into you is we burn it into your eyeballs. All right. We have an eye doctor in the house though, so everything's okay. We good, Nikki? We're good. Signed off. This letter is from Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus. I am writing to all of God's holy people in Philippi who belong to Christ Jesus, including the church leaders and deacons. May God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. That's a nice opening to the letter. And he says, every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Whenever I pray, I make my request for all of you with joy. For you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you first heard it until now. And I'm certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. How many of you are grateful that God is continuing to work in us? That we're a work in progress, Right? All the wives, elbow your husbands, you're a work in progress. You know, you know the difference between men and savings bonds? Savings bonds eventually do mature. <laughs> Very welcome. <clears throat> so it is right. It's my God-given right as a pastor to tell corny jokes. I just want all of you to know that. Let's get that on the table. I will continue to tell them, and I will be unabashedly excited about it. He says, he says uh, so it is right that I should feel as I do about all of you, for you have a special place in my heart. You share with me the special favor of God, both in my imprisonment and in defending and confirming the truth of the good news or the gospel. He says in verse eight, God knows how much I love you and long for you with the tender compassion of Christ Jesus. So Paul loves this church and he wants them to lean in and to hear what he wants to speak to them. Uh, he has deep affection. And in verse nine, he says, I pray that your love will overflow more and more and that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. And I want you to hear this verse right here because this is where we're gonna kind of land today. He says, for I want you to understand what really matters so that you may live pure and blameless until the day of Christ's return. Father, I pray today that you would speak to us through your word, that we would leave this place changed and challenged and transformed, that we would not walk out of here the same as when we walked in, but Lord, we would be 
transformed by your word, God, that we would hear what you want us to hear, receive what you want us to receive, and that we would not just be hearers, but also doers of your word. God, we love you. We open up our hearts and minds to receive what you've got for us today in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to focus on verse 10 today, where the apostle Paul tells the Philippians, I want you to understand what really matters. Now, understanding what really matters and what by extension does not matter in my mind is the essence of wisdom, right? How many of you know that in life, there's so much noise. I think every single hour, there's something like 400,000 pictures are shared on Facebook. The majority of them are pictures of people's cats. (laughs) And it doesn't matter, right? Some people love dogs. Some people love cats. I feel like all animals don't belong in my house. But anyways, I have three pets, you know, Jack, Evie, Penny. I mean, it's like basically the same thing. They, they poop and pee where you don't want them to. They, they eat the food you're not supposed to get into. They're disobedient. I mean, you know what I mean? Anyways, I forgot what I was going to say. Oh yeah, 400,000 pictures. You know, there's all this noise. There's all the news. There's news, fake news, right? There's, there's all kinds of noise out in the world. And the vast majority of all of this transmission of information and communication, everything is just noise. And it doesn't really matter. And yet the vast majority of people are giving the vast majority of their time into the meaningless and the non-essential. And, and so connecting with this idea of what is actually important, what is the thing that really matters is a really big deal. And this is what the apostle Paul is talking about to the Philippian churches. He's saying, I love you guys. I care about you. You have a special place in my heart. I planted this church. I want to see you enjoy your faith. I want to see you connect with Christ and really experience the joy. And so listen, I want you to lean in and understand what really matters so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. I love this quote by Greg McCown. He wrote the book, Essentialism, The Disciplined Pursuit of Less, which is an excellent book. He said, you cannot overestimate the unimportance of practically everything. How many of you would agree with that, right? You cannot overestimate the unimportance of practically everything. Any Stephen Covey fans in here? You know, none. Y'all need to read. All right, thank you. Two people actually read books in here. Come on. Help us, Lord Jesus. Okay, so (laughs) Stephen Covey has his four quadrants, and he basically talks about the things that are urgent and important, the things that are not urgent but important, and the things that are uh, urgent but not important, and things that are not urgent and not important. And a lot of people live in that fourth quadrant of just wasting their life, aka watching cat videos all day, right? You ever, my wife's like, Jake, don't watch the videos on Facebook because you know how they work, right? You're like, this is kind of interesting. There's a guy in Russia and he, he, he's descended from the king of Russia. And then you watch that video. And then nine days later, you sort of wake up, your beard is longer, right? You don't know where your kids are. There's beef jerky on you. You don't know where that came from. And you've just given your life to these videos. You ever get stuck in that loop, right? Or watching YouTube and it just sucks you in and pulls you through. And you're just like, wow, now I know so much about the czar of Russia and, and cats and, and also like what Disney princess I am and all this stuff. But it's, it's really unimportant and it really doesn't really help you in life. It's, it's non-essential. It's not what really matters. And life is full of these kinds of things. And there's even things that a lot of people think really do matter and you need to care about this and you need to think about this, but it really doesn't. And Paul is telling the Philippians, listen, I love you guys and I want you to have joy in your faith. So I want you to connect with what really matters. Now, to illustrate this, you know, the the people in my world that probably 
the most don't connect with what really matters are my, my, lo my lovely kids. And I love my kids. You know, I got three kids, Evie, Jack, and Penny, seven, five, three. Make sure, that, is that right? Yeah, seven, five, three. And uh, Bethany and I, you know, we are like the quintessential millennial parents. You know, we, we really are worried about everything with our kids. And we have three now, so we're not that worried. Like the first one, we were really, really worried. Now we're like, ah, it's fine. She's, that semi-truck will dodge. I mean, he'll swerve, you know, <laughs> it's good. I'm joking, you guys, it's a joke, okay. But we, we like all good millennial parents, went to Ikea and bought our kids the colored dishes, the colored plates. Anybody know what I'm talking about from Ikea? There's those plastic colored dishes and bowls. And we're thinking, this is great. Our kids are going to love it. It's so fun. It's going to really enhance their eating experience. And as we provide them nutrition and everything, and what it's turned into is living hell. Because my kids, they always fight about the color of the plate. And you think, okay, do they have a favorite color? Could we just solve it by always giving Jack the green one or always giving Penny the purple one. Well, that's not how it works because at any given moment, it's relative to what the other kids have. So basically, if we're like, okay, Evie, you get pink, Penny, you get purple, Jack, you get blue. I don't want blue. I want purple. Why do you want purple? Well, that's an intro color. That's a good point. Okay, hold on. We'll give you a purple plate. No, that's my plate. Oh my gosh. Like what matters here is not the color of the plate. It's, it's the chicken nuggets. Come on. It's what's on the plate. It's the food. It's not the, the, it doesn't matter. It doesn't change the flavor. It's the same plastic. But they get locked in, right? And so they're just totally locked in. And like, I need purple today or my life is over. My daughter will literally throw herself on the floor and writhe about the color of a plate. Now, lest you think, hey, man, kids are ridiculous. Think about yourself. As a teenager... Remember being a teenager? How many of you are teenagers? Don't raise your hand. Okay, so when I was a teenager, I thought that like the clothes that I wore made me look cool. And I can just tell you right now, no clothes would have made me look cool as a teenager. <laughs> there is no tailor or person that could create an item of clothing that would make me look anything other than a round, pimply kid when I was 13 years old. But I thought, you know, if I wear like Burton snowboard gear, you know, and like skater gear, I had a bowl cut. I had a fisherman's hat. I would wear a green Burton snowboard shirt. I would wear like khaki pants that had like bell bottoms at the bottom. I don't, what the heck was going on in the late 90s and early 2000s? <laughs> Spiky hair, puka shell necklace, choker. And I had like a skateboard. I couldn't skate. I couldn't even do an ollie. But my <laughs> friends were, <laughs> were wearing skater clothes. And so I thought like, if I have a no fear hat, I'm going to look awesome. How many of you are guilty of sins like such as this, right? Let's just be transparent with one another. And you're like, no, I was in the 70s. You looked absurd. I'm just going to tell you that right now. <laughs> Whenever we look back, we're like, what was I thinking? Right? You know what I mean? What the heck was I thinking about right there? I thought that, that, that what I wore, that I just looked awesome. And now I look back and I'm like, you were ridiculous. What was wrong with you? What do you think is happening right now? We all think we look awesome. You know what I mean? And we're going to look back and be like, that's ridiculous. Jake, what was wrong with your pants? They were completely encasing your legs like sausage, you know? <laughs> Why did you shave the sides of your head? So I thought I looked awesome when I was in my 30s. Well, now you look ridiculous. You know, 50 and now we're all wearing bell bottoms again. And we all got long hair and like, I don't know, wearing purple makeup or something. I don't know what we'll do. But why do we think 
You know, we think that at, at each moment, we think we really get it, that we really understand what matters, what's going to make a difference, but we really don't. And so Paul is saying, guys, listen, I want to draw your attention. I want to I give you a clue. I want to bring you in to, to show you what actually counts and what really matters. And he says two things here. He says, I'm praying for you that your love will overflow more and more. Now, how many of you are pro-love? Anybody? Anybody anti-love? Get out. No, just kidding. <laughs> it's an easy question, right? Are you for love? Yes. So like, this is an easy one. I, I want you to grow. Uh, I, I want you to, to oh, love to overflow more and more. And he says, and that you will keep on growing and, in knowledge and understanding. And he's connecting these. And he's saying, I want you to under, I want your love, the application of your love and your, your expression of love to, to overflow. I want you to be more loving, but also I want you to mature and grow in your understanding so that as you love more, you also are loving more well, that you are loving at a higher level, that you are connecting with the depth of what it means to be a person that loves others. And then Paul, in this next thing, he says, for I want you to understand what really matters. He's saying, this is essential, so pay attention. These things that I've just given you really matter. But then he does something kind of interesting. He says, so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. Now, when I hear the words pure and blameless, I think about not sinning, not doing bad things, and basically being a good person. How many of you would say that's kind of what I hear as well? You know, when we hear the word purity, we think about moral purity. Hey, I don't, I don't do the bad things that I used to do, or I don't do the bad things that I'm currently doing. I'm going to be morally pure. I'm going to be blameless, which means basically I'm a good person, and God sees me and is like, yeah, he's made some mistakes, but he's a good guy. He's pure and blameless. But Paul says, listen, that's not He's not connecting pure and blameless in this passage with moral purity. He's connecting it with how we love and the depth and the quality of our love. Because the essence of Christianity is not that we would become morally pure. It's that we are all morally bankrupt. And that's why we require the grace of God expressed to us through Christ who paid for our sins that we could never pay for ourselves so that we could be transformed by Christ, not so we could become marginally more morally pure, but so that we could be transformed and that we could live out the love of Christ in our lives. The true mark of a Christian is not his moral purity or her moral purity. The true mark of a Christian is their love. The measure of maturity is not about how many Bible verses you've memorized. It's about, is the love of God that came to you getting through you and being expressed out into the world? And see, we have this idea in our minds that what really matters is that our relationship with God, and so we sort of become like we sort of think about people who live up on mountains and just pray all day as like more mature or righteous or holy. And actually, according to Christ and according to Paul, as he repeats what Jesus says, and we'll go into these verses, it's actually not the case that maturity is expressed through the ministry of love and the expression of love. And so Paul, he expresses this theme again and again in his writings. And he doesn't just get it from himself. He didn't make it up. He gets it from Jesus. But even in Galatians chapter 5, verse six, he's talking to the church in Galatia and they had these people called the Judaizers that were coming and they were telling the Christians there, hey, to really be a Christian, you have to be Jewish. You have to do what Jews do. You have to honor the Jewish covenant. And so you need to have a minor surgery, circumcision. Now I want to know who's going to that meeting. You know what I mean? You're like walking along, your friend's like, hey, there's a guy in town, guest speaker coming to church today. His name's uh, Hector, and he's going to tell us what we need to do to connect with God. Oh, really? What is it? A little minor surgery. I'm going to just go ahead and skip that one. You know what I mean? But, he's, but they literally were telling people, you've got to be circumcised as Gentiles. You have to be 
circumcised so you can enter into the Christian faith. And so Paul is dealing with this error because nothing can, can add anything to what Jesus already did for you, right? Nothing. And he's dealing with this. And he says in Galatians 5, 6, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. All that matters is faith expressed through love. Again, a statement of summation. He's bringing this idea together. He's saying, listen, you want to get to the essence. You want to get to the heart of it, not the color of the plate, what's on the plate. You want to really understand what counts. It's not circumcision or uncircumcision. In other words, it's not your effort or your earning or, or what you can do to get yourself pure and blameless before God. It's faith expressed through love. And when he talks about faith expressed through love, he's not saying uh, faith as in an abstract sense, like I believe there's a God kind of faith. He's talking about our faith, the practice of our following of Jesus, sort of the totality of our living and our speaking and our thinking, all of it together, that when we really are connected with God, that, that the Christian faith is expressed through love. That's what matters. The Christian faith is not expressed through prayer. The Christian faith is not expressed through preaching. The Christian faith is to be expressed through love. And Paul says, this is what we need to understand. Because when you get this idea, all of your praying, all of your preaching, all of everything you do for God will now be done in the proper way from the proper place and the proper motivation. But the problem is we've replaced the essential thing with a bunch of non-essential things and why do we think that people despise and reject what they see as Christianity because all it is is an empty shell. It's like getting corn and you, you crunch through. There's no corn on the inside. It's just the husk. Religion without the essence of, uh, the Christian religion without the essence of Christ is an empty shell. And so Paul says, listen, guys, I want you to get to the meat of the matter. I want to give you to what really matters. This is the essence of the Christian faith. But as I said previously, Paul didn't make this up. He didn't pull it out of thin air. He's repeating and teasing out what Jesus himself taught, what Jesus not just taught, but also modeled. It says in Matthew chapter 22, verse 34, but when the Pharisees heard that he, this being Jesus, had silenced the Sadducees with his reply, they met together to question him again. They wanted to trap him, right? And it says one of them, an expert in religious law, tried to trap him with this question. And this is interesting because he asks him a question of summation. He says, boil it down for me, simplify it. Give me the, the meat of the matter. Give me the, the core of it. He says to Jesus, teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? And Jesus said, it's a trap. No, <laughs> Jesus replied, thanks for laughing, guys. I appreciate that. <laughs> Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And all of Jesus' listeners would have been like, yeah, that's right. It's all about God. How many times do we hear this? Oh, it's all about, it's all about Jesus. It's all about God. Well, it's actually not all about God. What? Well, yeah, because God himself told you that it's not. God himself is, in just a second here, Jesus is, as the son of God, as the second person of the Trinity, is going to change the game, change the paradigm and say, hold on, guys. It's not just about your relationship with God. So he says, listen, yeah, this is the first and greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Now, this word love, we think about Hallmark cards and Valentine's candies. Those are nasty, but you know what I mean? Don't ask somebody to marry you with one of those things. They're gross. Carve a heart in like a Reese's peanut butter cup and give that to somebody. Come on, that's better. 
we hear love and we think like ooey gooey emotions, you know, the BGs, right? Barry White, <laughs> you know what I mean? We think about that. But actually to the, to the Jews, and at this time when Jesus uses this word love, it's actually an expression of covenant faithfulness. And so what he's saying is, you've basically heard it said, if you give everything to God and you honor him with your entire life, to love God means to keep his covenant, to walk in that purity of relationship. In other words, are you keeping the rules and doing your part, right? That's what Jesus is saying. You've heard it said, this is the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. I mean, it's gotta be like you 100% for God. And everybody's like, yeah, that's right, that's right. It's all about God. It's all about us being faithful to God. And then Jesus says, hang on a second, everybody. There's actually a second commandment. And it's, it's, he says this right here. He says, a second is equally important. And what he's saying here is you don't get the one without the other. You can't separate these. You really can't do commandment number one without commandment number two. And so everybody listens and we're listening right now. And he says this, a second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. I don't have time to go into the full ramifications of this. We're gonna probably talk about this more in our next series. But this is actually a very, very provocative and powerful statement. And Jesus isn't just saying, love the person that lives next door to you. That's not exactly what he's saying. There's more to it, but let's just take this, that he's saying you gotta love other people. And, and actually what, G, and then he goes on in verse 40, he says, the entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. In other words, if you wanna get it all, you gotta get this. This is the key. This is the thing that opens it all up. All the law, all the prophets, everything about faith and religion that you understand and all of this, it, it rests on these two things. And when Jesus says it's equally important, the second commandment, what he's saying is you can't do one without the other. And if you're really gonna do number one, guys, if you're really gonna love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, then you do have to love your neighbor as yourself. And you can't separate them and act like, well, I'm doing one and I'll work on two. No, they go together like peanut butter and jelly. And don't you try to take them apart. Don't you try to take them apart. Don't you people with pickles and peanut butter even try to come on up in here, right? You're gonna get... You're gonna get knocked back. Come on, peanut butter and jelly. Like these go together. They belong together. And, and so Paul is taking his cue from Jesus when he tells the Philippians, I want you to understand what really matters. And the reason Paul is able to connect living a pure and blameless life because purity and being blameless before God is not about your moral purity, which does not count for anything in the eyes of God because you could never earn your way or make yourself clean enough. We talked about this in our last series. You could never clean yourself up enough to be acceptable to God. So the pursuit of moral purity apart from surrender to Christ is a fool's errand. It's futile. You will always end up a day late and a dollar short. Even after you come to Jesus, if you just go right back into trusting in your own righteousness, again, you will fall a day late and a dollar short of the grace of Jesus. We, we, we cannot earn it. And so Pure and blameless in this sense is more about our grasping of our pursuit of Jesus by expressing our faith in love and connecting with what he wants us to do and to be. And as we get transformed into his image, it's a different thing than maybe we think right on the surface. And Paul's taking his cue from Jesus here. And he's saying, guys, listen, what really matters is that you grow in love and, and understand and let that get deeper in you because that's gonna help you be pure and blameless before Christ not just pursuing being the perfect Christian. The easiest way to be a worse Christian is to try to be a better one. Anybody ever discovered this? 
The minute you tell your brain, I'm going to be a better Christian, first of all, what does that even mean? Like Bethany and I, we always critique the churches with the signboards. We're like super above it all because our church doesn't even have a building, so we can just criticize all the other churches with their signboards. We're like, <laughs> our signboard always says like Hellraiser 5 and stuff because we're a movie theater, but um, it's true. But we, were, we saw a church signboard the other day and it was so funny. It was like this type of a Christian or a perfect Christian. And we're like, come on, you know? Where, where do you even qualify that? Like when you try to become better in yourself, right? As a Christian, I'm not saying you shouldn't want to grow in your relationship with Jesus, but when it becomes your sort of capacity, you're sort of earning, your sort of effort, and I've leveled up as a Christian, like the easiest way to, to figure out that you're a mess is to like go on that journey. And so Paul's saying, guys, look, don't busy yourself with that. You need to understand what's truly important. What did Jesus say? He said, love God, get connected with him. That vertical relationship is important. Do we need to read our Bible and pray? Yes. Do we need to, to be falling more in love with with him and understanding him and having a relationship with him and letting him transform and change us, yes. But then when that begins to manifest, when that begins to come out, what does it look like? It doesn't just look like you all by yourself in a cave having visions. It looks like you in the rest of humanity, inside the, the mess of humanity, serving and loving and letting God's love that came to you get through you and go out into the world. You see, Christians should be very, very connected to the transcendent, to our relationship with God. Like as a Christian, I'm not afraid of death because I believe that I'm gonna be resurrected when I die, that when Jesus comes back again, I'll be raised out of the grave and I'll live forever. So there's something about my faith that lets me get above it all, that lets me connect with, with truth and beauty and things out and above the, the mess of this planet. Like I look around at our planet and I go, man, this place sucks. Anybody else? Even like other, even myself, I'm like, what did I do this week? That is awful. I don't even like me. You know what I mean? Most days, like what is wrong with me? We, we, but we're able to get above all of that because we connect with God that he has a plan for it all, that he's, he's working to reconcile and redeem creation to himself and that we get to participate with that. So we're transcendent, but we're also connected horizontally in that you have people that are, that are really connecting with the essence of Christianity, go to the lowest places, and serve the least of these because they're able to bring heaven to earth. And that's what Jesus said. He said, God, let your kingdom come. Let, let heaven come on earth as it is in heaven. Let your will be done. It's that vertical relationship with God, but being expressed in service of others and living a selfless life. And Jesus is the one that taught us this idea. We miss sight of it, don't we? We get pulled aside thinking, I'm gonna become a better Christian. I'll become a better Christian. As if that, as if we can, and as if that is going to make us more acceptable to God when nothing but the blood of Jesus made you acceptable in the first place, right? And so then what we, what we do then is we separate ourselves from the unwashed and the unworthy and we separate ourselves from other people and we, we try to be pure by distancing ourselves. And when you think about Jesus, he left a throne to come down to a manger and enter into the mess of humanity to serve. It says the son of man did not uh, come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so the essence of the Christian faith is to bring the transcendent, to take heaven, get a hold of it, let it work through you, and then bring it to earth. And that's what really matters. That's what Paul means when he says, faith expressing itself through love. If you really love God, if you really know God, then you're not going to run away from people. 
if you really know God, if you really love God, if God's really working on the inside of you, then you're not going to become more bitter and jaded and judgmental, but rather you're going to walk with a limp and realize, man, I'm a sinner saved by grace. And I want to put my hands and arms around other people that, that need the love of Jesus. Come on, the love of God that comes to us, Jesus wants to get it through us. You know, when we, we go back to talking about being kids and laughing about the, the colored plates and the nonsense of that. And then I think about myself as a teenager and the nonsense of thinking that my clothes were going to make me look cool or whatever, you know, if I had a bowl cut and, and Burton snowboard shirt. It's ridiculous. But why do we assume that now that we've really got a corner on it and we really get it? Because even right now, the things that we think are going to bring us satisfaction and fulfillment and joy in life really won't. The things that we think that are going to make us acceptable to God really won't. The things that we think are going to make us pure and blameless really won't. Because it's never been about what we did. or You know what I mean? It's been about this whole thing of letting God work in us and expressing it out through love. And so Paul says, guys, I want you to get the secret of joy. I want you to understand who experienced the joy of your faith. When does being a Christian become awesome sauce? It's not when you sort of ascend the mountain and float into heaven. Like on ballet shoes, you know. Sort of float up like angels in the outfield, if you remember that old movie, you know. No. The joy of our salvation is when we let God's love permeate and saturate and work through us and overflow in our life and we get a deeper sense and a deeper sense and we grow in our knowledge and understanding. That's what really matters. And that's where it gets really fun and really joyful because you begin to lose sight of yourself and connect with what, with what God wants to do through you. And so the secret of joy and of joy in our faith isn't getting more stuff or getting the promotion or getting in shape or getting a relationship. It's not about having this walk with Jesus that's working hard to do the right stuff, make sure we're squeaky clean. Like that's not where the joy is at. The joy is in service. The joy is in giving our life away. The joy and what really matters is faith expressing itself through love. That's all that really matters. And that's what our, where our focus needs to be. And, you know, you think, okay, how do I put this message into practice? Like, how do I put this into play, Pastor Jake? Well, the only way that I can tell you is to put your focus on Jesus and follow him. Because if you watch Jesus and you, you, you know, you say, well, he's not walking around physically right now on this planet. Well, not necessarily, but he's, he's, he's in the scripture. And when you see his example and what he did, you can say, look at what Jesus did. And what should I do in this moment? What would Jesus do? We can even get a bracelet that says that. What would Jesus do in this moment? What would Jesus do in this conversation? How would Jesus express himself in this moment? And when we connect with that, we get closer to the heart of God, don't we? Next week, Beth Bethany's gonna be preaching and she's gonna talk about the example of Christ and what Jesus did and how he lived and where, when we follow him, that leads us into the joy of our salvation and experiencing that. So today, I just want to challenge you, as you read this week, I want to encourage everybody to read the book of Philippians uh, once a week. And it's only four chapters, so you can even like read it every other day and get through it in a week. But go to this verse and say, Lord, would you embed in me, would you drill into me this verse, verse 10 and 9 and 10 here in Philippians 1, to look at what really matters. Lord, don't let me get pulled aside to the left or to the right, but God, let me connect with this understanding of my faith expressing itself through love. Let my love grow. Maturing in your faith isn't about memorizing more verses, though that's a great thing to do. It's about 
letting the love of God work through you as you serve and love others. And that's what I want to challenge you guys to do this week. This morning, if you're here and you don't have a relationship with Christ, I want to let you know I do not believe you're here by accident. I believe that God brought you here even to this crazy church in a movie theater and to hear a semi-awesome message, maybe fully awesome, I don't know. I'll let the people decide. But God brought you here to this place. God brought you here to this moment so that he could tell you that he loves you, that he's thought about you from the day you were born, and that he's seen every single bad thing that's ever happened to you, every moment, and that it breaks his heart, the pain that you've walked through. And he's watched you make mistakes and hurt other people, and it's broken his heart. But he has a pathway for you through his son, Jesus, who gave his life for you so that you could be forgiven of your sins and you could enter into a relationship with him. And so listen, I know we haven't gone into everything that that means and all the ramifications, but I just want to let you know today, if you will choose to stop trusting in your own goodness or stop, stop trying to believe in your own goodness to get you to heaven and stop believing in your own badness to take you somewhere else, but you will put your, the focus of your faith off of you onto him, the scripture says that if you call upon the name of the Lord, you will be saved. And so I just want to say today, if you will put your faith and trust in Jesus, I know that he's going to come rushing in like a tidal wave with grace and mercy to forgive you, to ransom you, to redeem you, and take you on the adventure of a lifetime. So if that's you, would you pray with me? Let's all pray together. Dear Jesus, I put my faith and trust in you today. I thank you for your grace and mercy revealed to me at the cross where you gave your life for me and made a way for me to be reconciled with God. I'm, I'm stopping trusting in myself, in my own goodness, or looking at my sin and thinking that it disqualifies me. I'm taking the focus off of me and I'm putting it on you. All my chips are on you. I put all my faith in you today. In Jesus' name, amen.